it's one of the freedoms that we have here is that not only does nobody expect wine from Arizona, period, you know, so they're not going to be shocked when they see it in a can because they weren't expecting it to exist anyway. You know, Arizona has kind of a reputation too of being kind of a, um, a little free-spirited, a little rebellious, you know. This is episode 31 of The Travel Podcast. Welcome, I'm Matthew from The Travel Podcast, and on this episode, we explore the wine region of Arizona. I'm joined by Todd Bostock, co-owner of a family-run winery. Todd shares his passion of wine, food, and his local insights into traveling in this region of Arizona, from why they created a rosé with bubbles in a can, to exploring the wild west town of Tombstone. Todd also shares a few ways to enjoy wine tasting at home with friends, and how easy it is to get to and explore the region. Todd, if you can just give a quick introduction to yourself. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks for having me. I'm Todd Bostock. Uh, my wife, parents, and I own uh, Dos Cabezas Wine Works in Sonoida, Arizona, um, just south of Tucson. Um, we grow grapes and make wine um, down here. We, we farm two vineyards, the Pronghorn Vineyard in Sonoida and the Cimarron Vineyard in uh, Wilcox and produce around 5,000 cases of wine a year. And is that all locally sold, or do you sell across the U.S. or around the world? Um, yeah, we uh, we sell mostly in Arizona. We ship wine all over the country, so if you can, you know, um, if, if it's legal where you live, we can ship wine to you. Uh, not so much to, to the rest of the world because uh, it costs a little bit to get there. It can be a little cumbersome. It's tough enough in, in the U.S. in the States, you know, uh, figuring out the different rules for every spot. Uh, going international makes it a little tougher. We, we, <laughs> we don't got time for that. We're, we're a small family business. It's, we, don't, we, we got a lot on our plate. So no international shipping right now. If any of our listeners in the States are listening, um, do you have a website where they could check out uh, the information? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's uh, dose cabezas.com so d-o-s-c-a-b-e-z-a-s two heads in spanish.com and uh, you can see everything we've got going on online there um and we've got some you know, pictures of the, of the vineyards that's uh, kind of what we're up to and uh we've got a um a little casita next to the winery place you can stay to we booked that through the website so if you ever want to come visit uh, we can put you up there and you can check out check out what we're up to amazing and something that i only recently found out as setting this up that there is a wine region in arizona so i mean why do you love arizona and what took you there to to set up the winery yeah that's a good question you know it's uh i was born here so that you know i'm a little biased probably there's probably like an innate um you know anyway i was born here so um i grew up here i love it here um you know i thought when i was growing up i grew up in phoenix i thought i would leave and go to a bigger city you know more action and uh it didn't work out that way you know i i I went to school university a little bit tried some different different majors uh quit went back quit went back started making some wine at home kind of enrolled in an online um program through uh, uc davis in california and uh really dug the idea of making wine so it wasn't you know there wasn't like a family tradition here that i you know i saw i didn't grow up grow up around people drinking wine and um you know growing grapes and so i thought i'm gonna have to move to california to do this and uh and then i tasted some wine i tasted a wine a guy named ken calligan made from arizona and it like i had this moment you know what i mean it tasted like it was as good as anything i'd had from anywhere else but it tasted different and then this idea of you know being a part or seeing you know like what an emerging place ends up tasting like you know Arizona is such a, a cool spot was really intriguing to me so I immediately tracked down the folks that at the time owned Dos Cabezas and and Calgan and uh, begged them to let me work for them and uh, was fortunate that you know I could stay and do it here and my folks got the interest 
and uh, we were able to stay stay and do it here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's such a unique spot. I think we were, we were talking before we got on here that you know we're we're at forty we're grow grapes at forty five hundred and forty eight hundred feet in elevation, which is very high by most standards. Um, and so we have a, a really unique climate, a really unique place, and the wines are distinctive. And you know the, the grape varieties we grow that do well are uh, are sometimes a lot different than what folks are, are you know typically see out of California or some of the more famous spots in Europe. Um, and so uh, the good news there is you know, when we do what we do well, we'll, we do it better than other folks do it in other places so that um, it's distinctive, unique, and it's different. It's just not just another, you know, another something a lot like Cabernet Sauvignon. Does that make sense? No, def- definitely. I've been to Arizona. I've been uh, altitude in Tucson. I've also been down to Phoenix, so I can see massive variants within that. But a lot of our listeners, if they're not in the States, may not know where Arizona is and how diverse it is as a state. So I just didn't know if you could give us a bit of a, an update of what there is going on in the state and how and where it is in America. Yeah. So we're kind of sandwiched, you know, just north of the Mexican border. And then between California to the west and uh, New Mexico to the east, and then just beyond that's Texas. So a lot of times we get lumped in with Texas. Folks think, you know, we just had an Italian wine guy out and he thought he thought our wine was from Texas. But um, yeah, so we're kind of sandwiched there on the west coast, just just in a little bit from California, just north of the Mexican border. And actually, where we sit, where the vineyards and wineries uh, in the south are, we're only about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour drive uh, north of Mexico. Um and at higher elevations, you know, if you were in Phoenix, it's about a two and a half hour drive south to where we are. But, you know, you climb and then the hills start to roll and it, it's um, we're kind of like high elevation grassland, hilly grassland surrounded, you know, ringed by mountains. So um, I think Mount Wrightson is the highest peak uh, nearest you can see from the vineyard. And that's at about 8000 feet, um, you know, and it, and it snows here in the winter. It, it freezes. You know, folks think a lot of times I think they think Arizona is all you know, swirl cactus and, and tumbleweed. And we do have our fair share of that. Um, but what, you know, where, where we are, um, uh, it's fun. It's interesting. You know, folks think you should be able to grow grapes here cause it's too hot. But, um, um, in my backyard grows a native Arizona grapevine that, that I didn't plant, you know, that, that it decided it wanted them to be here. Um, and while the, you know, the fruit isn't something that, you know, would make wine folks familiar with it, it the rootstock is actually something that you, the UC Davis, the big, um, wine or, you know, viticulture university in the States has used to develop uh, rootstock for wine grapes that uh, is drought resistant, salt tolerance, kind of some global warming um, wine grapes. But anyway, so actually what, what typically ends up being our, our problems here are extreme cold and too much water at the wrong time, you know, so um, we get we get most of our rain. We'll be we'll start coming in the next couple of weeks, right around when grapes are ripening. Um, so they call it monsoon season. So we'll get all these dramatic, you know, massive thunderstorms. So uh, um, which can be problematic. And then sometimes they come with hail. They come with frozen frozen ice or frozen water. And then uh, and then we can get frost a little too early because our elevation and we can get a little too late in the spring um so it's just so interesting sometimes folks think you know it's, it's too hot we're at, it's too hot and dry and actually most of our, our problems are, are cold and wet weather related um but it, it's 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 really the most beautiful time to, to be here because uh, you know people think it's super hot up in you know in phoenix you can get into you know like 110 um but we rarely get above 100 degrees we won't get above 100 degrees in the next few weeks and then you wake up and it's uh it's cool you know you probably want a jacket on and then it'll start to warm up it'll start to get humid it'll start to feel you know a little intense and then clouds will build the sky will break open all this water comes down the temperature plummets you know gets drops like 30 degrees you get into like the 70s 60s and it's super beautiful and then 360 degree lightning shows um it's pretty great 
anyway, and then and then everything gets green. So right now it's kind of like you know pale brown because it's it's been dry, and then all of a sudden all the hills will be will be green grasslands. It's pretty great. And that'll be from in a couple of weeks. So we're currently in June, so that'll be like July into August that so that monsoon in the yeah. mountains will happen, and obviously the the heat in the lower valleys of Phoenix, uh, where the, where they'll get into the the hundreds. Yeah, yeah, and you'll I mean you'll see these giant clouds and like what looks like just a column of rain, you know, coming down in one spot it's it's very dramatic and it's 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 rather rather beautiful i think like i say it's a lot of people will think oh it's too dry too hot in arizona whereas actually if you're looking at doing like something like twin center you could go to vegas or the the national parts of grand canyon utah california where it would be really hot and then come down into the wine region of arizona where it'll be nice and cool so you're getting a very diverse uh, trip within one um so the yeah. heat and some great cities and destinations within that within that trip yeah. and well yeah well, where we are you know it's um it's where the extreme south south southern part of the state and uh there's a lot of there's a lot of great history here there's a lot of great cultural stuff um you know we've got um you know tombstone everybody knows tombstone is probably about a 45 minute drive from from you know where the winery is we've got um you know, Karchner Caverns, which is a really fascinating uh, cave that was discovered gosh, maybe 20 years ago, but um, managed in a way that it's been kept um, as close to its original state as possible. It's not like a, a you know, like a lit up show cave, if that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got the, what is it, San Pedro River flows north from Mexico, you know, just right around us and loops back around and two thirds of all of the bird species that inhabit or that come through North America spend time there. So it's a fascinating place for, for uh, or it's a famous place for bird watchers to go because you can see all sorts of different birds as they, they pass through. Um, and it kind of leads into the UNESCO thing because we, you know, they, they've got, uh, what is it, a Clovis mammoth kill site. So it's some of the oldest evidence of civilization in North America um, um, is right over there. And then you've got, you know, Tucson, just 45 minutes north, which is kind of like a, uh, sleeping giant, you know, culturally, it's not, it's not necessarily as widely known, um, but it, as we talked about it, you know, UNESCO designated it, um, uh, oh gosh, what's the, what is it? It's like the UNESCO uh, gas, uh, gastronomy, city of gastronomy. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of, one of the first, uh, UNESCO designated cities of gastronomy because of the, the cultural, the food heritage. Um, and it's, it's still very approachable. You know, it's not like going to some other places where it would cost a ton of money, you know, or it, it's not, it's not necessarily like fancy sit down, white tablecloth, unapproachable. It's affordable, um, you know, like real food, real satisfying food. So Amazing. Anyway. So I say it sounds like because a lot of people would have known Arizona for the Grand Canyons. Maybe if they follow sports, you've got the Arizona Cardinals. Um, if you're from the UK and you've got a bit of knowledge about London Bridge and where it ends up, ended up was Lake Havasu <laughs> in Arizona. Um, yeah. And obviously there's a lot going on there. Um, yet there's so much more. Like I, I didn't know half of the information and how much there is actually in the south, a lot closer to the Mexican border. So the diversity of the state is coming across so well. And it could even be it's just that single tour. So you can get to see all of that all in one state. The diversity is unbelievable. Like I, I just thought it was a, a desert um, until yeah. I started doing a bit more research into it. And, you know, I love my food. So uh, Tucson is a place that I definitely need to get myself to. And I like my wine. So uh, <laughs> 
south, uh, southern Arizona is is another place I need to get myself to. Talking on that, I know that um, we've been very fortunate that we have some of your wine here to to sample and taste. And obviously, you mentioned it earlier how it's very different to the normal grape because of the way it's grown and and the environment that you've got uh, in the in the climate there compared to other regions of the US and other regions in in the world. One thing I picked up when I was doing some research, which I think might just be between where you're based and um, Phoenix, which is you don't really get any bugs because of the uh, because of the desert lower down. I don't know if that's the same higher up. So it doesn't. There's no real threats to crops. There is, is actually. <laughs> I wish. No, it's it's not terrible. So you know, our uh, pest pressure isn't um, outrageous like you might mm-hmm. see in some other spots. But um, but we do we do see we do see some some uh, some things that are problematic. But it's not. It's not um, devastating like you, you might see, you know. So typically, the, the pest damage we see is uh, it's minor, but it, it can, it, if un- left unchecked, it can be significant. What kind of wines do you produce? So uh, you know, we we produce the full gamut. Um, it, it part of the, the exciting part of being sorry, part of what's exciting about being part of a emerging wine region is uh, is you know getting to figure out what what you're doing. You know, so like if you if you your family grew, grew up in Champagne and you make wine in Champagne, you know what you're doing. You're making you know fizzy white wine for the most part. Um, so, but whereas here, because it's still kind of growing up, um, we get to do everything, which which is really fascinating and great. And the, and the the fun thing for me is you know nobody. Um, nobody's thinking of us when they're making wine. So like when guys in Bordeaux or Champagne or Tuscany, they're not thinking like, what, what are the folks in Arizona going to want to drink this summer? You know, or what are they going to want to have with the food they're having in Arizona? And so we get to do that. So not only do we get to, you know, make all these different styles of wine, we get to think about how they're going to work with, you know, the food and the climate and what people actually do here. Um, and, and I think that that for me makes it, makes it super exciting. So we make you know, mostly still red wine. Um, we make a little bit of still white wine. We make a decent amount of rosé. We make uh, some rosé with bubbles in it. And then, uh, you know, we make a little bit of dessert wine, a little bit of traditional method sparkling wine. Um, the bulk of what we do is is dry red wine. Um, uh, that being said, you know, we, we do make it a significant amount of rosé. I think we, we you have one of the ones that I, we think is super fun for the area because um, it ties in with, you know, some of the activities we talked about and kind of what you do here so no definitely yeah i've got um i've got the rosé in the can yeah which was which is very cool um i've got the white wine and i love the label um with the golden retri- golden retriever is this a yeah. family uh dog it's, a, it's actually a good friend of ours so uh if, if folks follow the pizza world they probably have heard of chris bianco he's got pizzeria bianco in, in phoenix um this guy from the new york times said it, they make the best pizza in the world um, really famous pizza maker and his dad's a painter and so uh his dad actually painted that and that was their family dog uh, ace ace um and they, we were fortunate that they they lent us those images for both the rosé and the, the white wine there so really beautiful paintings leo leo bianco is he's in his late 90s and is a, a brilliant painter no I, I really like the the the, the rose on the, the can as well and also on the bottle for the rosé so yeah that, that is some stunning artwork and then i uh, and then your um Red. I was going to try and pronounce it, but I'm going to probably put. Oh yeah, it's it's a made up word, Aguileon. So yeah, it's uh it's Spanish for eagle and lion, kind of smashed together. So we get like this Griffin character, and uh, we named it after our youngest boy Griffin. But we didn't want to make it so overt that he'd get a big head, so we had to obfuscate a little bit to come up with that. I love that. It's amazing. The the little touches of the of the um, family winery coming across. So 
no, that's absolutely brilliant. No wonder I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. That's my excuse anyway. And yeah, so we're, we're going to do a bit of um, a tasting just so, again, you can, uh, for the listeners, especially those in, in the States or anyone that is traveling to Arizona might be able to get a bottle and enjoy it themselves just so they can get a bit of a taste. What one would you reckon we start with? I think we start with the, the rosé, the carbonated rosé. Yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, we were talking about what kind of grape varieties we grow here. And so some of the names may be familiar, but um, most of them are not the, you know, the some of the famous grapes that people think of, like Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay. Um, so the rosé is based in Grenache, which is uh, one of the most widely grown grapes. It grows in, you know, uh, in Spain, they call it Grenache. In uh, south of France, Chateauneuf de Pop, they, you know, they grow quite a bit of it. They grow it in, in Italy. Um, but anyway, based in Grenache with uh, Morvedra, Syrah, uh, a grape called Graciano from uh, Rioja originally, and then a little bit of white, a white grape called uh, Picpoul Blanc, grown in the south of France in Languedoc, most famously. Anyway, so we, we pick, the way we make this, we pick all the grapes by hand, um, whole clusters, and we crush them with our feet real gently, let them soak for a day or two before we press them off the skins. And that's where you get that, that pink color. And then they ferment and age for six months, um, mostly in tanks, a little bit goes into barrels. And then uh, what we do is when we go to, when it's time to package it, we split it apart. And so a, a portion of, you know, most of this wine goes into bottles traditionally, like a traditional package. And then we put a bunch of it in kegs that go up into Phoenix and Tucson. So when you go to a restaurant, you can have it by the glass on tap, but it's fresh, you know, so you're not getting a bottle that was opened three days ago and, and sat around. And then uh, we take another portion of it and we carbonate it and put it in cans. And uh, that's what you've got there. So that it, it gets some bubbles and then it becomes highly portable. So you can, you know, you can stick in your pocket. You can go for a hike. Um, you can throw it a backpack and then, uh, you know, it's, it's about two and a half glasses. So it's enough to share. And then you can, you know, step on it, put it back in your pocket, pack it out. No big deal. It's not like lugging around a giant bottle of wine. So it's something to get, you know, usually beer gets to have all the fun and go to those places, you know, go to the lake, go to the beach, go to the camping. And uh, this way, you know, wine gets to tag along. So you can take advantage of all those great outdoor activities here and not have to lug around a giant bottle of wine. I was going to say, was that the inspiration behind it? Because I know earlier you were mentioning that um, being uh, being part of a wine region that is developing and evolving, you can use the ideas and of the environment around you and what, what the activities are around you. So is that why you have you put it into, that, into a can so you could go out to the lake with it, you can go on a hike? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we... We, uh, we got the idea we were in Colorado and, and the, tasted a wine from another winery that was in a can. And I thought, God, how great. Because, um, you know, a lot of times people, you get like novel packaging and people don't put their best wine in it. They put like, you know, um, like novelty wines. It, it, we thought, how great would it be to put like the same stuff that you put in bottle in a, a portable package that you can take out? Um, and then so that's where that came from. It was really selfish. You know, the idea that we, we wanted to be able to have um, um, really great wine that we could take out and about. Yeah. And then take and all those activities and then have something that goes with what yeah what you might be eating. You know, like that wine with things like uh, like fish tacos, like crispy fish tacos, you know, some like uh, Mexican influenced food that you might eat here. Um, would be really, really great. Or like charcuterie, you know, like that with like some prosciutto and melon, um, you know, kind of like a little picnic action would be, would be pretty stellar. No, definitely, definitely got my, my I'd like to go to the beach with it or go rafting. That'd be yeah. my thing with this can. Yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, skiing, whatever, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it'll, it'll, it'll fit all the bills. Um, and it's super food, food friendly, approachable and bubbles, you know, just make it more fun. It's just very, you know, lightly carbonated, you know, champagne's typically, um, at a pressure of about six atmospheres. And this is, you know, only about three atmospheres. So it's not quite as, uh, you know, aggressively fizzy, just enough to kind of brighten it up. I, I can testify that is a lovely, lovely can of wine there. Oh yeah. Just had, a, just had a little, a little sample. Um, 
No, it's very fresh as well. And you, again, like you said, it's the, the bubbles aren't overpowering. It's it's just there. So you, it's it's a it's a very unique taste, something that you wouldn't have had from a wine before. Well, I, I certainly haven't had uh, taste in a wine before. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So like I said, unique unique grapes, um, but um, you know something again. Yeah, it would be super refreshing. So if you were you know, whether you were in uh, in Phoenix, like on the patio somewhere at a restaurant, or you're up in the mountains, it would it would fit the bill. Um, so and, and kind of fun and unique. You know, you know, I don't think you see a lot of canned wine um, around the world, but um, it's one of the freedoms that we have here is that not only does nobody expect wine from Arizona, period. You know, so they're not going to be shocked when they see it in a can because they weren't expecting it to exist anyway. And the technology is, you know, become so advanced that. Um, it's a it's a great container for for you know for wine. It's, you know, it's we put wine in it that you're gonna want to drink right away, right? We're not putting like uh, red wine that you're gonna want to age for ten years in there. I mean, this is wine that you you could buy off the shelf and have you know later that afternoon, and it it's gonna taste great. So anyway, that, that's some of the fun of, of being a part of, of where we are. You know, Arizona has kind of a reputation too of being kind of a um, a little free spirited, a little rebellious. You know, I, I remember they teach you in, in grade school here. Um, you know, to be admitted to the states, we were one of the last. You know, we're the what, 40, 48th state admitted to the, to the United States, and uh, they wanted us to change something about how our courts worked, our judges worked, and so we changed it in our constitution. They let us in, and then we changed it back. I mean, that's I kind of love that. That that's very Arizona thing to do. And do you think that is why somewhere like the um, historically like Tombstone would have drawn in those sort of characters that? That ended up in Tombstone, so is it like Doc Holliday and some of the other um, famous cowboys? Well, yeah, I think so. I just listened to I just listened to a book on that because I realized my my uh, Tombstone. I, I wasn't up to date speed on my Tombstone history, and I you actually. So if I drive from my house to our other vineyard, you drive through Tombstone, so you you know you drive right through it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's Smith's then it's still a little wild westy, you know, especially where we are in the south part of the state. So. And if you think about how folks, I imagine folks are going to want to travel or is even like you know, my, my family, we think about how we can get out for a little bit this summer. What are we going to do? Um, I, we're not looking to go to big cities. We're not looking to, to be, you know, packed in with, with other folks. And this place is, is kind of like that. It's a little wide open, you know what I mean? So you can, you can get out and, and uh, experience the area. And if you wanted, you could do probably do a really good job and not bumping into anybody. Um, at the same time, you've got attractions like, you know, things like Tombstone where you, where you could go see folks. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that spirit uh, is, it attracts folks like that. Um, and, uh, and it's still there, you know, <laughs> uh, which, which may, I think makes for a super interesting spot. It reminds me, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to like, you know, like the Basque folks, like, it, you know, there's like, we're, we're on the border with Mexico and there's heavy influence there. And then, we're, you know, we're, we're you know, in Arizona, but there's this tension, there's this like unique feistiness, I think that you see, um, or like maybe the Latin folks in, uh, in, uh, North, North Italy. But yeah, anyway, there's, there's kind of like a, a special feistiness. I think you get from that, that border area, um, which I, I get a kick out of. I like, and I think a lot of people like there's, you know, like a, um, a special sense of like freedom, you know what I mean? Or opportunity. It's, you know, like when I walk out my door right now, my house, my nearest neighbor's half a mile away, like, and then there's not another one for another distance. So it's pretty wide open. No, I'm looking at the photos of Tombstone. So if anyone's listening and you're on your phone or if you're listening online, do do look up Tombstone. You, the, it doesn't look like it's, well, aged it has, but it's got its true characters. So the buildings are very similar to, or are the buildings that would have been there when Doc Holliday and uh, Wyatt, um, Wyatt uh, had gone through 
Uh, obviously, they would have been upkept very well, but I think it's amazing seeing that little town still has that history. Yeah. Well, it's it. Uh, it well, there was it was mining, so like mining in Bisbee um, brought a lot of money to the area. So there was a time where like the fanciest hotel in the region was in Tombstone um, because they they had to cater to the folks' money from from mining. And then you know the train that brought you know would bring wherever the ore back and forth. Um, tied into Wymas in Mexico. And so you could get fresh seafood, um, you know, this far because there was demand for it from folks that, that had money at that time out there that wanted seafood. So anyway, but, and then you, if you go into Bisbee, Bisbee is where, you know, the mines were just a short jaunt from, um, from Tombstone. And uh, you can still see all those old buildings too. And it's, it's a le- legitimate old mining town. I mean, you could still take tours in the old mine shafts and, uh, and it still looks, imagine a lot the way it did then. No, it's amazing. And if anyone's seen The Dutchman, uh, that was filmed uh, part of that in, in Bisbee. So, and for those who like Cannibal Run 2, it's gone through there. Um, I'm just trying to look at some of the amazing. Oh, Young Guns 2. I love Young Guns. Uh, so it's a great movie. Also shot in, in area. So, definitely make sure you go and if you, when you get out there, check out the likes of Bisbee and Tombstone because it's got that um, the America culture before of the raw American culture, like the wild West. Yeah. Yeah. But with like some updates too. So like you can still get a great meal. So in you know, Bisbee, there's a really outstanding restaurant, Cafe Roca that'll cater in, to folks that, that uh, want some finer dining. You know, they've got great wine lists, uh, great food. And, you know, even in, in Tombstone, there's a, a brewery Tombstone brewing that makes uh, beer. That's that all the folks that know about beer in the state are excited about delicious stuff. Um, but yeah, both places worth, worth visiting. And I think they have things to offer for folks, you know, at all curiosities levels, you know, so, so yeah, really, really cool spots, really beautiful part of the state. And I know some other amazing, so if someone's looking to go on a picnic, you've got lots of great national parks, which is where the bottle, uh, the white wine may come in handy. Um, for those who are potentially driving into a park rather than hiking, yeah. um, I know you've got the, I tried to pronounce this earlier, so I'm going to give it a go and it's going to be horrendous. The Chikarawa, Chika, Chika, uh, Colin <laughs> Todd, help me out here. It's so close. I know what you're talking about. It's the Chiricawas. Yes, the Chiricawas. So yeah, there's, uh, yeah, where you can you could drive in and set up shop at a picnic table. Um, they've got these they call them hoodoos, these really cool like kind of columns, natural columns that develop. Um, but yeah, um, that that would be a great wine for that. And that's just a short jaunt from the, the our vineyard in, in Wilcox. Um, yeah, and so the the white wine you've got there, um, it's a blend of all most of the on. with Ace the dog. That's right. Um, so you know all those all those grapes uh, that are in there: uh, Pico Blanc, Rouzon, Viognier. Uh, Muscat, Malvasia, um, they they all go into uh, big big 500 liter barrels um, and uh, big concrete tanks, and so made similarly similarly to the white, uh, we pick the grapes, the whole clusters, bring them back to the winery, step on them, you know, just crush them a little bit so they have a little time to soak up some flavor from the skins, give them a little texture, and then they uh, ferment and age. They ferment somewhat cool and age in you know that concrete tank and these big 500 liter oak barrels for about six months, and then we. We bottle it. And same sort of thing. We're looking for lively, bright, fresh. So something when it, yeah, if you're out having a picnic or, uh, you know, you're doing some activities or, you know, it's a little warm out or you're eating a little early, um, it's refreshing enough that you could have it on its own, but then it folds, it folds well into, into food too. So it's got some texture and some grip 
from uh, the skin contact um, to uh, to add some interest so that it, w- it would work well at the table too. And for those who have never done wine tasting, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to ask you, how would someone, if, if they've got, they want to invite some friends over and taste some wine, how would you go about tasting your wine, for instance, uh, out of the bottle? Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, a, comfortably you know you could you can uh if you were if you had friends over and you were tasting i mean you could do up to eight ten people with with a bottle if you're just you know doing samples um which would give you the opportunity to try more more wines um but you know when we do it we either like to choose like a theme almost or a region or a type of wine and get wines from um, a bunch of different producers so we can uh kind of see the differences or you know different regions but the similar type of wine um, or like, if you're going to do ours, you could do, you know, like a lineup, say of, you know, three to five, like we've got here where you could do like a white a rosé and a dry red or two and, and kind of have the gamut and taste them in, in that order. Um, you know, another fun thing to do is to taste the same wine from different years. So you can see how the wines, you know, change over the years. Um, I think the important thing is to have like a, a dump bucket, <laughs> something you can, cause you don't have, it's, it, you know, if you're going to try a lot of things, there's, there, there's probably more, more there to drink than they could be safely consumed. Um, so it's important not to you know, treat it like a, some, a, an obligation to drink it all. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fun thing. We, and, and we do it, we do it a bunch and actually we do it. We have a little weekly show. We started during, uh, during when everybody had this shelter in place, stay indoors, um, where we're, we're tasting wines, uh, via zoom. So you can see video and it's interactive where folks actually get the wines at home and then we can bring them on and they can ask questions and people can see each other. And, uh, and that's kind of fun too, but it, it's nice to do, it with, you know, more than a couple people or do it with red wines where you can drink the wines over a couple of days. So you're not opening three bottles of wine for two people and feeling this obligation to finish them, <laughs> uh, too quick or having them, you know, uh, uh, kind of get tired before you have the, the opportunity to finish them over a couple of days. Red wines, you know, you can taste typically over three, four days and, uh, and they'll still be fine. So, and is there a certain technique that people may need to know? Um, you know I, I think everybody innately knows how to, you know, what they're supposed to do, but just to, so that I think sometimes maybe they need to hear that it, what they feel is right. But yeah, you, I mean, look at it as long as you feel like looking at it gives you pleasure, you know, and then smell it as long as that makes sense and then taste it. But like, I don't think you got to overthink it. And I think the kind of the, one of the fun things about it is, you know, if, as you do that, there'll be times that it'll catch you off guard, you know, where you'll, you'll bring it up to your nose and you're not really paying attention to it. And then something will grab you that will remind you of, of something else, you know, and then kind of capture your attention. And I, I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, fascinating, interesting is that, uh, that that'll happen. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of swirl it, look at it, smell it, taste it, and then set it down, get in the conversation, come back, pick it up and it'll hit your nose and it'll like kind of pull you out of the conversation into another place. Um, because it'll, you know, I've I've smelled this before when we go hiking over here. Like I remember when I used to play golf with my dad, you know, it's the, whatever the, uh, scorecard or pencil smelled like this, you know what I mean? Or maybe not. <laughs> Those are my experiences, but that that's what's fascinating to me about it. Um, but yeah, so I think it you just kind of take the, a moment to recognize, you know, what it looks like, how it smells, how it feels in your mouth. Maybe let it sit there longer than you would if you're drinking a can of soda. And then, uh, but then I think you just let that happen, and uh, and if you don't sweat it, you know what I mean. A lot of times, it's like 
sometimes you want it to be the center of attention. Other times you want it to fade into the back and it just be like a supporting member of like a good conversation. And I think that the important thing is to not stress it or sweat it, like what you're supposed to be doing, what the wine is supposed to be doing, and you will just let it happen. And then, uh, and then that's like, that's an enjoyable time. That's, that's my opinion. <laughs> No, I like. I, I completely agree. I think it's definitely one to have around with friends and part of a conversation. So uh, it is. I like this. It's a very fresh wine. Um, hopefully, really so aromatic. You know, so it's, um, a lot of fruit on the nose, um, but not sweet in any way. So um, you know, so so still dry palate. You know, crisp, and then hopefully with a little, little texture on the palate, um, and and so all the components you need to to keep it interesting, but. So it's funny, you get those, some of those aromatic grapes that we grow mixed with some of the grapes that retain the acidity well, and then you put them together and you get this nice combination of uh, freshness and richness and texture, and it seems to work together well, and it seems to be somewhat unique. Um, no, I well, definitely agree with that. I think it's, it's a great taste. Um, I'm not a big wine taster as such. I enjoy wine, but um, doing the wine tasting side of it is quite new, but uh, it's very fresh, as is my way of explaining it. It's, light is crispy is i think it's that perfect for a summer's day mm-hmm. yeah yeah and can take a little bit of heat you know or a little bit of spice heat so you could um you could put a wine like that with uh even like some asian dishes some thai dishes you know things that um have a little bit of spice uh it could handle that um even you know again southwestern dishes things with a little bit of chili heat um, it, it could it could handle that too i mean you're not going to want stuff that's so spicy you know your melts your tongue but it it's uh, it can handle a little bit of that spice and that and that's a lot of the food that folks eat you know out here this time of year is spicy food. So I suppose it's with that with Mexico being so close to the border, there's a lot of influence on the food. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's it's actually it's too bad that uh, um, you know with the the way things are with COVID right now, you know uh, we used to be able to and you will be able to again soon. But you know like pop over across the border into Mexico to have you know dinner and then hop back across. And, uh, and there's a lot of great food there, you know, like, um, and it's an interesting, I mean, not to get too deep, but a good friend of ours, a guy named Gary Nabhan, he's a, he's a writer, he's an ethnobotanist, but, uh, uh, kind of a famous food writer. And he wrote a great book about, you know, how the, that cuisine, the, the Sonora, which is the area just south of us developed, but it's heavily influenced by, you know, um, was it by the Chinese, um, with, uh, African food and, uh, um, I just can't think of the third one all of a sudden. But anyway, the idea that it's 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 a really distinctive uh, cuisine. It's different and, and, it, and it's really cool. Um, and it, it definitely bleeds up north and into the U.S. And, you know, I think when folks think of Mexican food, a lot of times they think of, well, they think of like tacos, burritos, beans, yellow cheese, you know, kind of like this Tex-Mex is probably the more famous, which is less the food that is actually down there than, um, than you see, you know, as it spreads around. But um, yeah, some, some really great stuff. And, and moving on to the Aguilion. Yeah, that was great. Agui- yeah, Aguilion. That was right on the money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of like a, an, an homage to Rioja. So it's a wine that um, it's based in a grape called Tempranillo, which they grow there. And uh, <clears throat> has uh, some some other stuff in it. You know, uh, was it Graciano, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Petit Syrah? I forget what vintage we sent you. Um, but anyway, so, so a unique blend, right? So based in Tempranillo, a grape that people are probably familiar with, with some other grapes that, uh, that folks may or may not be, but they, the idea is, you know, it comes together to make a wine that's, uh, that's again, balanced and pleasurable. Um, but it's kind of an, a nod to the tradition, you know, from Spain. So, uh, that wine, we, uh, you know, still pick it all by hand. Um, we pop the berries off the stems, but we don't crush the berries. We kind of let them break down over time on their own. 
and it ferments um, in contact with the skins, the wine, for about anywhere from seven to 21 days for that wine, typically somewhere in the middle there, around 14 days before we uh, you know, press the juice off the skins and separate them. And then we, uh, we'll put it into barrels. And that wine goes into mostly um, 300 liter and 500 liter barrels. So still a little bit larger than uh, what they use in Bordeaux and Burgundy. Um, and then it just sits in barrels for uh, for two, close to two years, about 20 months, it sits in barrel. And we don't do anything to it other than let it kind of find itself, you know. Um, and we use a tiny bit of, of oak um, barrels made from trees grown in, uh, in the U.S., which is also kind of a nod to the Spanish tradition. Um, but about 75% of that, that wine is aged in um, wood from France and about 25% in uh, barrels with wood from the U.S. So um, it's a little spicy, um, a little meaty, um, but again, still, and I, I think that's one of the things people expect from warmer regions is that the wines are going to have a ton of alcohol. They're going to be kind of hot. They're going to be strong in a way that um, it can be tiring. And we're trying to make sure that's not what ends up in the bottle, that you get things that, um, aren't exhausting, you know, that you can, you, you can drink a glass and want another glass. Um, and that they're, they've got intensity of flavor, but, um, but they're not over the top. And so hopefully that's what you're experiencing, but that um, is wonderful. Oh yeah. That's great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I could definitely sit around and I know you mentioned about San Pedro river and, and bird watching and all that. I mean, I'm not a big bird watcher. Um, but I know the San Pedro is meant to be beautiful, but I could definitely see you sitting here. You don't have to do much. You're just there. If you're a bird watcher or just like sitting by a river, you can enjoy a fair few bottles of these, obviously safely, and, and um, have someone else will get a taxi or someone else will drive <laughs> or camp. Um, yeah. But you just you can just sit there and just, just enjoy enjoy that red. And I think that's what a lot of, especially for me, like red wine, it's, it's definitely a, a very, very sociable, like you mentioned, you can have it over a few days, but it's a very sociable wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's lovely. And so, so something like that, right? Like right now, you know, we're, we talked about going into monsoon season where it gets a bit warm. Um, and then the sky kind of breaks open, rain comes down, like something like that is, and you know, the sun goes down a little later. So you could grill with friends. That would be very, uh, you know, friendly with barbecue, you know, meat on the grill, like it, uh, steak, stuff like that. Um, lamb, grilled lamb would go like really great with that. And, uh, yeah. And so something you could drink while you were grilling in a, in a real social way, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. So you know, it's got red red fruit flavors. Um, it's spicy, but it's not intensely spicy, and it's rich and satisfying in that in that way. So, um, but I, I think that's a great wine that kind of shows what uh, what Arizona tastes like and how, how it is unique and distinctive. I mean, you rec- you can recognize it as as quality wine, right? Like it's not like yeah. it's from another planet, but it's different enough that it's it's uh it's got a different story to tell, which um, which I think is what makes wine fascinating. It's back to I mean, especially right now where a lot of folks aren't able to travel, you know, and aren't able to get out um it's a way to travel from where you are you know so i mean we've been doing a lot of that where you can um you know have a bottle of wine from another place and maybe make some food from that place and kind of have a moment where you get out of your house virtually through <laughs> eating and drinking so hopefully that wine out of my place yeah <laughs> I think, like you say, it's it's an eye-opener because up until setting up this uh, podcast episode, I didn't really know that Arizona had a wine region yet. You know, some like you said, a lot of people think, well, Arizona's got a wine region. That's not going to be any good. But every single one I've tasted today has been very different and unique, but very, very nice. 
Yeah. I love the fact that you've got the carbonated rosé that you can take out, and especially if, if for those who want to be active, um, you've got the, the white wine that can be great on a summer's day, and the and the red that you can be very sociable with. Three very different, but very very nice wines. Very very. That's probably not the best English to describe this. So apologies on the description there, Tom. No, I'll, I'll take nice. Nice is great. I mean, that's what you're going for. And uh, yeah, and I mean the regions evolve so that you know you you know not. Our, our stuff isn't going to be everybody's favorite. So there's plenty of other wineries now down here that you could make a weekend of it. And, uh, you know, or if you're going to do everything, you know, make a week of it and uh, see the region, taste different wines, go visit different wineries and not run out of things to do. But like we went back to before right now, you know, when you think about what, what people are looking to do this summer or, you know, for the next little bit, if they do get to travel, um, is to uh, maybe have a more of a self-guided sort of experience where, so, you know, like, what a lot of folks do here is they'll rent the place next to the winery, which has a kitchen, you know, they'll bring food, go buy food from the store. And so they'll be, you know, instead of going out to a restaurant, they'll, they'll, uh, cook it, you know, cook it, their rental home essentially. So you can go out and see all this stuff or you, you, know, you can kind of fortify to go out and have these adventures, but it's not like visiting, you know, New York city where you're, you're going to be surrounded by people the whole time. Right. So it's, it's kind of a nice option when you consider where, where I think people are going or what they're looking to do. I mean, like I said, our families, we love it here, but we got, we're looking to get out a little bit for the summer because our kids can't go to summer camp, you know, all that stuff's off. And so it's a lot of like, you know, maybe we're going to rent a, rent a van and just kind of hit the road and find a spot that looks nice and park and camp and, you know, kind of be the same people, be around the same people, but in a different situation. So anyway, we, we offer that to other people. No, I love that. And, you know, you've briefly touched on it in the fact that there are other, so there are other wineries within the region where you could do, uh, so if someone wanted to, a little wine tour of Arizona as part of a bigger, bigger holiday. Yeah. So, I mean, in the South, um, you know, there's Sand Reckoner that was one of the wineries and has a place in Tucson. So even if you never made it out of Tucson, you could, they've got a, 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 a tasting room where you could, you could check out their stuff. And then in Sonoida, where we are, there's a, uh, just over 10 different wineries that you could drive around and, and sample. And then uh, if you head an hour and a half east, you know, through Tombstone, you know, near Bisbee to Wilcox, um, then you've got another handful of uh, tasting rooms, you know, eight, eight or so that you can uh, you can sample. Um, and then if you time it with it, you know, there's always everyone seasonally there's events too where there's a bunch of wineries in one spot, and you can you can try them all in one spot. But um, like so, there's definitely enough to hold your attention. But it doesn't also, you know, it becomes part of what you're doing. It doesn't have to be the only thing you do. You know, there's horseback riding out here. There's like we talked about, you know, hiking, birding, um, uh, shopping. I mean, there's plenty of stuff to keep folks busy. I mean, we didn't even get to like Nogales and Tubac, you know. Oh, that's it. And, and like I said, there's Tucson, uh, Bisbee, Tombstone. So as part of an overall holiday, but also having wine along the way is a great trip for, in my eyes. And I'm sure many others listening. But also as part of a, gr- a grander trip, you could even then tie in the Grand Canyon, Phoenix, maybe do some sports, if you're into sports, or Scottsdale, um, up into Lake Havasu, go and see London Bridge, um, yeah. get out on the river down there. I think... Again, I think it highlights how diverse uh, Arizona is. I mean, there's so much to do within it, and people don't know. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, I love a road trip. It's a great state for hitting the road, and uh, 
you, you can pick the direction you want to go and what you want to see, right? Like, yeah, like we talked about, I mean, if you're in Tucson in the wintertime, you can drive, there's, you know, it's, it's at the foothills of these mountains and you can drive up those mountains and it takes about 45 minutes and there'll be snow at the top of the mountains, you know, it's, uh, and then you can drive back down into Tucson and it's, you know, it's desert. It's, uh, it's pretty great, but yeah, you, you, it can be, you know, even like Las Vegas, you know, you can hop on a plane from Las Vegas to Phoenix or Tucson and it doesn't cost a whole heck of a lot. And then uh, be in proximity to, to to see all this stuff. Um, That's a great point, you know. Or you, like you mentioned, you're right on the border of California, so if you wanted to go to the coast and go down to um, San Diego, LA, sort of maybe through Palm Springs, but all easily accessible. Either they could get an internal fly out, get an internal flight to Tucson and rent a car, or go into Phoenix, get a car from there, and then and then do a big road trip. So I think there's so much to to do, and I, I know I keep mentioning that, but it, is that an eye opener? I thought I knew Arizona. Obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I grew up in Arizona, and I it, I had no idea that they made wine here. I, you know, until I went this far south and saw what was going on. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a unique and special spot, I think. Um, and uh, and it's got a kind of a raw, uh, wild beauty that uh, I really dig. Um, and, and especially like so where we are, where we're you know we're surrounded by a ring of, of mountains. Um, and it's kind of sitting in these rolling hills and it can look like, you know, it can look like the Savannah. It can look like all the, you know, I've been to a lot of places where you're like, oh man, that looks up here where you, you see that wide expanse and it kind of, it has a calming effect and, uh, uh, it, it's relaxing. And, uh, like I said, if you want to be around people here, you can be around people. And if you want to be alone, you can do a real good job of going to a place where you won't see anybody. I mean, my, my sister-in-law had her, her, uh, her birthday this weekend and they came down from Phoenix and we drove probably about 30 minutes from the winery and it was oak trees. We set up, you know, we set up long tables under the oak trees with solar lights, and um, we had grilled, uh, roasted tenderloin that we we cooked earlier and sliced it all up, and we had the, like a fancy dinner out in the middle of nowhere. We didn't see anybody. It was trees. It was cool, and it was pretty brilliant. And uh, that, I mean, it's a pretty great, pretty great experience. No, I think that's a, a wonderful place to to wrap up this episode. And uh, that sounds absolutely stunning, and a great way to be able to have a family uh, family dinner. And I think the biggest thing for me after the this episode is to to really think you can't just go to Arizona and do the Grand Canyon or Phoenix and think you've done it. You've got to get out and explore. You've got to see more of the state. You know, if you're thinking of getting out there, just for the Grand Canyon, why not add on a few extra days or you know a week and get down to the wine region? Really get a bit more diversity that the state can offer. We will have links to the winery, so if you are in the area, you can go down and meet Todd and the family, um, or you can stay in one of the accommodations on site. If you go to the travelpodcast.com, find the episode, and that's where all the links will be featured uh, on that page. And if you have enjoyed the episode today, please do give us a five star rating on your podcast platform of choice and also recommend us to your friends the travel podcast is sponsored by not just travel where it's not just travel it's a way of life we hope you like this podcast and if you did please tell your friends but also take a moment to rate us on itunes as it helps spread the word thanks for listening 